0: Welcome into the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Elijah Evans, and I'm here with my co host Jeff Cohen for another episode of the Roundup. Uh, Today, we've got some more exciting prospect content to talk about. We're going to be focused on the upper levels of the minor leagues. Last week, you can go back and listen to that episode. We talked all about some of our favorite players and guys we want to keep an eye on this season uh, at the single A and the high A level. And this week, we're going to focus more on guys who finish the season at double A and triple A um, and kind of what we can expect from them next year as they kind of trend towards being professional baseball players. Major league level in the near future. Um, everybody we're talking about today, we really think has a has a realistic shot to be a major league piece. They've already reached the Double A level, and they're gonna. We hope they're gonna continue climbing. So we're gonna dive into all those players. Um, but first, we got a few other things to talk about. I want to start off the rip by talking about our former co-host of this show, Mike Rankin. Uh, I meant to do this last week, but I wanted to give a special shout out to Mike, who has been a huge part of this podcast and the Future Stocks company for a long time. Um, You know, he was the person who brought me in to do this podcast with him. um, And I enjoyed every second of it last season. Um, He was a huge part of doing the regular Future Stocks podcast and everything else for the last few years. Um, So we wish the best to Mike. And we want to just say thank you to everything that he did for Future Stocks um, over the time and for bringing me into the company and um, just making this, this roundup also a possibility because this was this was his idea so we are here because of mike so i just wanted to take a few seconds off the rip to to thank mike um and now uh i'll, I'll hand it over to jeff who i want to ask a little bit about his experience the past few weeks jeff was in miami for the caribbean series this past week which was uh kind of our first preview of of real hardcore baseball for this uh this season before we had to spring you know spring trainings in two weeks now so how was that experience jeff and what was all that like
1: it was terrific. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the format, the um, champions of seven different uh, major leagues in the Caribbean, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Panama, they come together and have a tournament for about seven or eight days. And uh, a friend of mine and I came down and we caught the, the last five games. Uh, it's actually five games in 51 hours. It was a blast. It was terrific baseball. A lot of former major leaguers, very passionate fans. It was uh, just a wonderful experience.
0: That is awesome. Any players that you saw there that stood out to you or any players that kind of had some, some amazing performances?
1: Um, You know, I was surprised. Um, I think part of the issue of course was that they were playing in Lone Depot Park, which is the Marlins home stadium. And it doesn't give up many home runs. And I think in five games we saw maybe i know we saw two home runs maybe three but uh Hmm. uh, it looked like the pitchers really dominated um
0: yeah the highlights i saw seemed that way it seemed like there was a there was a no hitter you got to see right
1: the first game that we went to was a no hitter just amazing only the second one in the history of the uh, caribbean world series
0: wow that is pretty cool that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you had a good time there. Um, for those that are curious to see some of his stuff from there, uh, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Triple A Jeff, who you posted a few things. I love checking out that stuff. You know, it was like I said, it was our first taste of, of real baseball and competitive baseball this season, which is something that, you know, we're all looking forward to the regular season. But the Caribbean series was kind of the the first preview of, of professional baseball that was at the, in the States. So it was awesome that Jeff was there. Um, and I know we're looking forward to, you know, two weeks from now, we're going to be rolling around to spring training. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. All right. Well, let's get into some of these players. I know that's what everybody that listens to us is here for, White Sox minor league content. We've got you covered at Future Sox. All of our podcasts talk nothing of nothing but White Sox. Um, we, especially on the Roundup, focus all on just the player side of things and players that we're following throughout the minor league system. Uh, so we'll start with pitchers today. Um, I want to get into someone who I probably should have mentioned when we talked two weeks ago about players who could make an impact with the White Sox in 2024, because uh, there's a 2022 draft pick who, while he was just drafted a year and a half ago, is really advanced for his age, an older prospect, somebody that I think, you know, given his, his range of pitches and his ability to mix things up, has a really safe floor, and that's Jonathan Cannon um cannon someone that i got to see pitch and i talked to I had an interview with him early in his off season. i got to see him in birmingham this past year um a five pitch mix guy a guy that really just mixes up everything the cutter is kind of his bread and butter pitch but he's started to to continue to hone in and all of his other stuff just a really solid well-rounded arm i think he was someone who you know was originally looked at as a, as a first round pick potentially when he was at Georgia coming into, and then he ended up falling to the third round of the White Sox where they overslotted him, were able to pull him away um, and get him to sign with the team. It, it's not a overpowering profile. Um, Cannon's a guy who really just mixes a little bit of everything. The the cutter was, is kind of been his consistent pitches, but, you know, he works a fastball that has a lot of sync on it. He's got a slider. He's working with his changeup. He's just somebody that mixes it up well. Uh, he's a big dude. He's consistent. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts on Cannon and what he could be for the White Sox?
1: Well, one thing that you're going to hear, you're going to get tired of hearing me talk about is he's 6'6", 213. He's got a starter's frame. I really like to see that in these young guys. Um, it Yeah, it was interesting talking to him. At the time when I talked to him um, last year, he – at the time, he was throwing six different pitches, and, and he said that the White Sox said, yeah, continue to work on all six in the offseason. Now, we'll see if the new pitching regime under Brian Bannister changes that, but, uh, but he uh, was really effective. He moved quickly through uh, Kannapolis and uh, Birmingham. I mean, Kannapolis and Winston-Salem struggled a little bit in uh, Birmingham, but, uh, you know, we'll see uh, this year probably be much smoother for him.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, there was there was some dips, right? But you saw a guy who doesn't walk a lot of guys, even when he was struggling, but he wasn't like it was getting super wild with his command. Um, you know, the ERA spiked up a little and the command was shifted a little bit, but still actually, actually a lower walk rate. I'm looking here now, he had an 8.2% walk rate in, in Winston and then went down to a 6.7% rate in, in Birmingham, even while facing higher competition. So he wasn't missing as many bats, the strikeouts went down, but he still wasn't walking guys for the most part. And he still wasn't allowing a ton of hard contact for the most part. This is someone who he tries to force ground balls. He keeps batters on their toes. He mixes up a lot of different pitches. Um, like I said, you know, this is kind of a floor projection for Ken. I think he's someone that you can expect to be a major league arm. I don't know if there's a ton of upside to dream on. I think his stuff is not overpowering. It's not, you know, super wipe out uh, ability here and there, but he's someone who I think is just, a a solid big dude who can just be a major league piece in the near future. And at 23 years old, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, in the major leagues. Do you think, what, what, what could could you see a timeline for, for Cannon this season?
1: Well, he's 23. And um, so he'll, uh, what, spend half the year maybe in Birmingham. And if that goes well, he'll come up to Charlotte for a little while and maybe be in Chicago by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the way I look at him, honestly. I think he's uh, he's just a, a – the command is going to continue to carry him, and that's something that the White Sox have a lot of these arms in the system that we've talked about who have a lot of upside, but the command is lacking. Cannon's the exact opposite of that. The command is there. It's going to be there. It's really just going to come down to if he can keep kind of turning some of those off-speed pitches into a little bit more – a little more sharp, a little more movement, and a little more swing and miss, because if he can get a little more added swing and miss into his game with the command he already possesses, this is a guy who could be, at the very least, a back-end rotation piece at the end of the year for the white Sox, so i think there's a good chance like you said i think we could see him in chicago you know late season Um, and he'll start in birmingham i think and i think you know he could quickly get up to charlotte i think the Sox are are more hesitant to bring hitters to charlotte for too long but with pitchers i don't think they mind as much you know you saw Nestrini and mana finish there last year i think they'll be pretty quick to move him up to charlotte considering he did have 11 starts last year at birmingham while he struggled a little bit he's he's older He, he held his own in terms of the command so i think charlotte and not out of the question for June, maybe. And then from there, you know, if once you start performing in Charlotte, it's just a matter of time at that point for young guys. So I'm excited to see what Cannon can do. And I think in general, he's just a, he's a solid, you know, he's a solid arm with a lot of versatility and someone who can just continue to, you know, churn innings. And last year he threw a hundred and let's say, 121 innings last year, finished with a 4-4-6 ERA. And I think we're going to continue to see a lot of the same from him next season. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Moving. Yeah. No, go ahead. Take it away. No.
1: I was just going to say that, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, what to expect, the low expectations, frankly, for the White Sox in 2024. So a lot of the guys we're going to mention today, they very easily can be in Chicago for the second half of the season.
0: Hundred percent, because that's that's it's all. This whole season is about like we've we've said this the last three weeks. This whole season is about figuring out who could be major league pieces moving forward, and there's no reason not to give some of these pitchers that are already at an advanced age a chance to show what they've got in the second half of the year in Chicago. Um, So that brings up another guy who I think you know is someone that a lot of fans thought last year was going to be a major league piece and his season just got derailed. Um, there was some injury issues and then he just kind of couldn't figure it out. in Charlotte uh, ended up getting shut down and underwent and dealing with injuries. And that's uh that brings us to Sean Burke, who was the third rounder the year before cannon uh, kind of the similar trajectory, you know, an advanced college arm, someone that, going into last year was people were looking at Burke as the sixth or seventh starter potentially for the White Sox. Um, The whole season went wrong for the whole team, including Burke, and he just could not find his footing. He only ended up throwing nine games last season um, and just was, I I don't want to put too much stock into what we saw last year from him. He wasn't healthy. He didn't look comfortable. Um, and really Burke, someone that the year before looked like a legit major league piece in the near future. And considering he's 24, if he can get healthy and start the season in Charlotte and, and get some quality starts under his belt, I could definitely see Burke making an appearance considering that he was kind of expected to be a major leaguer last year, honestly, before the injury issues. So what what are your thoughts on Burke? I know you got to see the few games that he pitched in Charlotte.
1: Yeah, last year was just a, a lost season for him. It, it, yeah. He He was never healthy. And it's maybe there's a little bit of prospect uh, fatigue with him because he's been on the White Sox uh, prospect lists near the top ten for uh, the last year or two. Um, but yeah, he's someone that people have forgotten about. But if he shows up healthy this year, uh, he could he could be one of the first arms up.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Just because he was someone like we said, you know, he he pitched. He threw a lot of innings in 2022. He looked really good for the most part. Um, you know, 108 innings. He started in in Winston that year, and immediately, pretty quickly, went up to Birmingham. Held his own in Birmingham for sure. The command was steady. Uh, just a quality overall pitcher and then went up to Charlotte for the last two starts last season in 2022 and struggled a bit but then going into 2023 it was like this guy's gonna start in Charlotte he could be up in Chicago before you know it and it was a lost season like you said I I don't put too much stock into that I think it's a waste of time to to kind of give up on guys because of an injury and because of just a lot of issues going on Uh, I've talked about this with Jake Eater before I, I just don't like the the fatigue, but also the injury stuff that just ends in people basically ruling people out, and I, I don't think I think it's it's important to consider the injuries, of course, but Burke's someone that is is a solid pitcher. He's been a guy that can mix pitches well. He was really a really effective curveball um, in 2022 from the clip I watched him that year. Um and I think he has the upside to, you know, if he can find the location a little more and he can kind of battle this injury that he's been dealing with. He had the shoulder issue. I think the shoulder issue, it seemed to be that it was kind of just a reoccurring issue last year. Um, so I'm hoping that he can stay healthy, and if he spends some time in in Charlotte and limits the walks, I think, like you said, he could be up fairly soon. If the rotation in Chicago, if some of the some of the veteran ads in Chicago aren't working out, I, I could see Burke getting a chance pretty early. Yeah, yeah. So uh, keep an eye on Sean Burke. Uh, don't rule him out. I know he's falling on prospect lists, and it's it's understandable because he did have a whole lost season. But someone that I think we we expect a lot of good things from. Um, I want to move over to Mason Adams. This is kind of a a totally different trajectory, a guy who, you know, no prospect interest, I would say, last year. I mean, I would argue that he basically had zero prospect, like, talking about him whatsoever um, going into last season. And then in his first professional season, just showed to be a guy that was – real piece and somebody that really should be considered a legit prospect in this system. You know, he was drafted in 2022 in the 13th round. It's kind of just a a flyer pick. I think Uh, somebody who had experience at the college level at Jacksonville. um, And he has shown, he had shown a lot of, intrigued last season in his first full season Um, he was kind of he started the year piggybacking off of Noah Schultz so when Noah Schultz was making his first few professional games uh, Mason Adams was the guy that would come in after Schultz Schultz would only throw you know two three innings we talked about that two weeks ago you got to see Schultz do that and then Adams would come in and throw like five six innings of one run ball and just Totally dice up lineups with not a ton, not a high pitch count, attacking the zone, really just getting after it in a way that a lot of pitchers didn't. You know, in, in that time in Canapolis, before he got promoted uh, later in the season, he spent 17 games in Canapolis. Seven of those were starts once he became a starter when Schultz ended up going down with the injury. But those first 10 were out of the bullpen. Across those 17 games, 77 innings with 94 strikeouts and only 18 walks. So this is a guy who just pounds, pounds, pounds the zone. He is incredibly effective with his control um, and just it really just looks way better than you would expect a 13th rounder to look in his first professional season. And then he got bumped up to Winston and Birmingham both for three games each and was excellent. A 2.50 ERA in his three games in Winston, a 2.70 ERA in his three games in Birmingham. The command drifted a little bit in Birmingham in his last three starts of the season, but really just looked like the same pitcher across three levels. And he will open the year as one of the top pitchers in Birmingham this season.
1: Yeah, I ended up seeing him quite a bit in Kannapolis because I went to see a lot of Noah Schultz's starts. And as a result, I saw a lot of Mason Adams. You know, the first game or two, I thought, okay, this guy looks pretty good but then every start I was going to of Noah Schultz Adams was coming in with five or six innings and in, which is so yeah. impressive. So impressive. He's a 13th round draft pick uh, came out of nowhere and um, it's going to be fascinating to see what he can do this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the stretch that I, that I noticed this and I, I looked at it earlier today and in five straight games of coming in, out of behind Schultz, right? This was late April into May, right? He had five games in a row with one run over five innings, zero runs over four innings, zero runs over four innings, three earned runs over four innings, and then zero runs again. Yep. It, it, was, it was just kind of out of nowhere, and I don't think anybody expected this from a guy like Adams – But he looked excellent. And then you look at the end of the year, he gets promoted to a level in his first, right, the 13th rounder, his first professional season, goes up and as a full-time starter now, he's kind of been given the role of a starter now that he had had kind of earned it in his first few months, goes up to Winston-Salem, throws six innings, all three of his starts in Winston-Salem, a total of five runs. So 18 innings, giving up five runs, goes up to Birmingham at the end of the season, despite battling some command issues, still only gives up four runs in those three starts in Birmingham to finish the season. So this is somebody who I have on my top 30 um which is which is crazy because he is you know that's not a 23 year old 13th round pick from 2 year a year and a half ago is not somebody you expect to be on a top 30 list and I think Mason Adams, as a pitcher, is, is one of the more intriguing arms in Birmingham going into the season, honestly, um, and someone that I really think people should start taking more notice of, because he's he's a piece. Um, I think he's a, he's a legitimate piece for the White Sox, um, and I think a whole season in Birmingham or the majority of the season in Birmingham, and there's a chance he's a 2025 big league option, honestly.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's funny, uh, you know, I've raved about that rotation for good reason in Canapolis yeah. with Murphy and... Tyler Schweitzer and of course Noah Schultz, all these guys, but Mason Adams I think was the most effective pitcher on that staff last year.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Honestly, it's a it's weird too because again the draft stock does not show that, but that's that. There's so much more that goes into it than where you're drafted, and some pitchers just have that it factor. And Adams Adams command, his command and his effectiveness and his just attacking of the zone is just really impressive for a guy in his first season last year. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing Adams um, shifting over to another guy who was acquired last season. You know, the white Sox made a lot of moves at the deadline to really shake things up and change the, the future of the organization from a prospect lens. Um, and Kai Bush was someone that was kind of the add-in um, to the Edgar Caro trade. Um, it was someone who, you know, Edgar Carroll was the piece in that Lucas G trade. I think he was, Caro was the guy who we've talked about this and he he's someone that we think is going to be, the the future of the catching position where we might talk about him a little later actually. Uh, But Kai Bush was the second piece in that deal who kind of went under the radar and, you know, he struggled last season. Another guy who I I think you can almost call it a lost season last year. I think he really just didn't have it for much of last year. Um, He got traded over to, he dealt with some injury issues early in the season um, I believe. And then he got traded over to the white Sox after kind of, you know, struggling a little bit um coming to the organization he finished the season he spent his whole time in birmingham after the trade deadline um, really struggled the command was iffy he couldn't quite figure out the sharpness i think earlier in his career he was someone who was looked at as a fairly sharp slider guy um, and just kind of effective with all of his stuff and then Last year, you know, when I saw him in Birmingham, the stuff looked a little flat. I think the fastball velo was down a little bit from when he was kind of a highly regarded prospect a year or two ago. And the slider, the, the breaking ball shape just wasn't quite moving. But I also think there was clearly some injury stuff going on with him. Uh, I don't think he was fully healthy last year. So it's going to be interesting to see where Bush goes this year. Um, what are your what's your kind of take on his season last year and what we can see going forward from him?
1: Well, let's see. He's 24 years old, 6'6", 240, a lefty. He was a second round pick of the Angels in 2021. Really struggled last year, um but uh was highly regarded when he came to the White Sox. Um what do you I'm curious. You had a chance to see him in person yeah. and maybe even talk to him. I don't know. What do you do, expect yeah. to see this year that might be more encouraging than last year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think with Bush, it, it's it's the, the velo is down, so he kind of has to become more of that heavier movement, especially as a big left-hander. You'd want to see a little more velo out of him. I'm hoping that a fully healthy season, he could kind of start to deliver a little bit on that you know, that more, a little more upside with the fastball. Um, I don't think it was really all that effective. It has that two seam run on it, but it didn't have a lot of life to it. So I think the fastball really got beat around. And then the slider used to be his kind of calling pitch. But when I when I saw him, it didn't seem like it had that much depth to it. I think he lost a little bit of that vertical movement on the slider to the point where he was kind of just sitting there a little bit last year. Um, and, and in addition to that, the command was shaky at times. So it, it was a hard season for him. I definitely... I I could see that he was kind of trying to figure things out and wasn't quite getting there last year. But I also think this is someone who's a big dude. He's got stuff. He, you know, he had a ton of really exciting stuff in 2022. He was a, he was in a future star. He was a futures game guy. So this is someone who a year and a half ago was looked at as a, as a really quick rising prospect. So I think he's going to start in Birmingham again. I just think there's some more stuff to work out. Um, And I don't think the ceiling is super high. I I think there's a world where later this season, he becomes a bullpen piece Um, just because he is a big left-hander. He can focus in on really just deepening that slider and not having to worry as much about the changeup, which is kind of iffy at times, um, and not having to have as much emphasis on the fastball being consistent. And out of the bullpen, I think he could, it could be a little bit more of a projectable profile. So I'm curious to see where they go with Bush. I think he's going to start the season in the rotation for sure in Birmingham, um, but I wouldn't be shocked given that he's 24 years old and given that you know, come some of the injury stuff, I, I wouldn't be surprised next season to see him if things don't click as a starter this year to see him shift into a bullpen role eventually.
1: Yeah, Elijah, two quick thoughts um, on Bush yeah. number one, not a bad piece when you consider he was the uh add on along yes. you know to the Quero trade. Yeah, 100%. That, that's yeah, you've got it's yes. just house money if you hit with him, exactly. secondly we've got a new pitching regime taking over player development in Chicago, and this is going to be a great test case. What can they do to get him turned around?
0: That's a really good point. That's a great point, Jeff. I think Bannister and co and, and the new pitching staff that's, you know, working on the pitching development side for the White Sox is, is definitely going to have a, a really interesting case here. That's actually, I, I totally agree with you on that point. Um, I think this is someone who is moldable and projectable and has shown a lot in the past, but coming off a season where he just, really was not good all of last year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they kind of work on with Bush to adjust his pitches, to adjust his kind of his movement patterns a little bit, because he definitely has upside. This is not someone that we're ruling out yet. It's just, there's some work to be done. And at 24 years old, it's the clock's ticking a little bit. And that's just the reality of it, right? When you get to that age and you, you want to see the impact. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the, the new pitching uh, development crew does with Bush. I think he's somebody to keep an eye on. And even if he's falling in, in prospect rankings a little bit right now, definitely still going to be a piece and or- at the very least, An organizational depth piece. It's never bad to have a left-hander to mold a big left-hander. So I think he's someone we can continue to keep, uh, keep watching this season. Um, Well, uh, we'll shift it over to, as long as we're on the topic, right? Edgar Caro, you know, we're going to move over to the hitting side. And this was, they came over in the same deal from the angels. Caro was the the top prospect in the the Angels system last year when they traded him for Lucas Giolito. Which was a fascinating trade, looking back at now, because the Angels were were going all in to try and keep Shohei Ohtani, and the reality is they they really hurt their organization for the long term, and ended up losing Ohtani evidently to the Dodgers. Um, so, but the White Sox, from the White Sox perspective, that trade was a uh, was definitely a, a good one. Edgar Caro is a. Uh, is a beast. Uh, I got to talk to him and watch him in person. I saw him hit a two home run game, including a walk off um, in Birmingham for his first two home runs with the Barons after the trade deadline. Um, And he is someone who just from, from speaking with him and from watching him, he's incredibly hardworking and he is like one of the more determined players that I talk to. You can just see it in his eyes and you can see it in warmups and you can see it the way he carries himself in the field that he wants to be there. And he wants to be, a true impact player. That's just how he rolls. Um, You know, he showed a ton of upside with the Angels in 2022. He was one of the youngest players um, at the level he played at that season, got bumped up a little bit aggressively. And then last year, you know, he struggled to start the season with the Angels, but then coming over to the White Sox, he really settled back in. Um, You know, a switch hand, a switch hitting catcher, first of all, is already incredibly valuable. Only 20 years old, going to be 21 in April. um, Someone that I think, is just his his plate approach is phenomenal. After that incredible season at Single A um, in 2022, where he had a nine nine sixty five OPS the year before with the Angels, including 17 home runs, that just kind of showed everybody at 19 years old that he was a really legit catching prospect. And then coming over to the White Sox, right? He he started the season a little bit more struggling, a little bit more with the Angels, kind of getting pushed up aggressively to a, a level that he wasn't quite ready for, honestly. And then when he came over to the White Sox, it was like, you know. This guy looks really good. The walk rates are excellent. Uh, he continued to be someone that, you know, is is really patient at the plate. He's smart. He had 72 walks last season to 76 strikeouts, so he really knows how to pick his battles. He knows how to approach things at the plate. Finished the season with, uh, with the Barons with a 759 OPS, Um, You know, had six home runs across the year. The power diminished a little bit, but again, aggressively pushed to double-A. One of the youngest players at double-A as a catcher, especially, which is the most demanding defensive position in baseball. The defense is getting better and better by the minute. I saw him in Birmingham. Before every game in Birmingham, he spent an hour in the cages just doing nothing but framing and blocking, framing and blocking over and over, just trying to get his feel for it, trying to get his rhythm, getting in his position, jumping out of the squat. It's just – he's a really exciting piece. And I think that everybody at this point has, has looked at him as the future of the catching position for the White Sox.
1: Yeah. He's only, you're right. He's only 20. He's a switch hitter. He needs to get bigger and stronger and he will. Um, he's definitely a bat first catcher. He's got a 55 grade hit tool. That's, that's pretty, that's terrific. Uh, yeah. Just needs to improve the defensive skills. And yeah. Sounds like he's working hard at that. So a lot, a lot to dream on there
0: definitely locked a lot to dream on like you said uh, the the hit tool is great and the approach is great the power is in there though I, I know that the six home runs doesn't look great I, I also he's listed at 170 Edgar he's not 170 I, I saw him in person the dude is continuously getting bigger I, I know that for a fact I'm curious to see at, at spring training in a month when I'm going to be there what he looks like because he he's getting stronger you can see it he looks strong at the And I think there's a lot more power to tap into. You could see the line drive approach last season and he was hitting doubles in the gap and the homers were infrequent. But I think, I think this is someone that you could really see being, you know, a 15 home run hitter. Not he's not going to be cranking 30, 40 home runs a year. He's not Will Smith. I don't think he's at that type of catcher, but as a switch hitter with the ability to walk and create contact, like he does, if he can tap into 10, 15 homers a year, in addition to that, you're looking at a plus offensive catcher, who continues to get better behind the plate. The arm is there. He has a really strong arm. It's really just going to come down to his game calling and his ability to run things behind the plate. But he's 20 years old, Jeff. He's 20, and he's catching a double A already. That's something that is is really cannot be understated. That is Catching is, is the hardest position in baseball. Everybody who knows baseball knows that being a defensive catcher is incredibly difficult. And he's doing it at such a young age and he's doing it with poise. Every single pitcher I talked to in Birmingham loved working with him and loved the way that he was kind of trying to be a catcher behind the plate towards the second half of the season last year. So Caro's, I I think the, I'm even higher on him than I think the consensus is. I think he should be a, I think he should be pretty much a unanimous top 100 prospect in baseball. Um, And I think he's someone that, you know, come 2025, there's no reason to rush him, right? 20 catching, it's hard. But come next season, I, I don't want to put the expectation on him to be up this season. I think that's unrealistic. But come 2025 and beyond, he is going to be catching a lot for the White Sox.
1: Wow, wow! 21 years old catching in in Chicago—that's pretty cool. And as we yeah. talked about last week, uh, you know, uh, Michael Her- uh, Calvin Harris and Michael Turner could be there with him, or one of those guys. Exactly. Could be there with yeah.
0: hundred percent. There's a pipeline right now. I mean, when you look at the the catching system, he's going to be in Birmingham. I think he'll start in Birmingham just because he only got, you know, 30 games there last year. Turner will be in Salem and Harris will be in Kannapolis. And then when Caro's is ready, I think they all slide up from there. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's really cool to have catching prospects and Corey Lee's in, in, in Charlotte. And I know Corey Lee had a rough debut with the Sox last year, but I think he's still a exciting, pretty young catcher in, in Charlotte. So it's cool to have catching depth, though it's actually have not had catching depth in a long time. We've had many years of, of not a lot of catching depth in this farm system. So it's yeah, really exciting to see Caro. Yeah. You think what a difference <laughs> for you, Mike, Wow. Completely. It's a very big difference. Um, And Carroll's leading the charge. So I think whatever the other guys behind him kind of develop into the, the hopefully the backup, so the the help out of the platoon even potentially, Carroll's going to be starting. Um, And especially, especially from the left side of the plate, he's really good. So that's, you know, that's the primary side he hits from against most right, against right-handed pitching, right? So from the left side of the plate, he's been better and he has more pop a little bit. So uh, Carroll's a guy that I, I think will be the primary catcher for the White Sox for a long time if things continue to work out well. So that's a good one. We'll, uh, we'll shift over to some other hitters. There's other guys that were in Birmingham. Um, I want to talk a little Wilfred Varis. Wilfred Varis is someone who I am really high on. Um, I'll give you our listeners a little bit of a tidbit. He is in the top 12 on my 30 prospects on my top 30 prospects list, uh, which he is not for pretty much any major publication. Uh, I don't think I've seen him in the top 15 on any major prospect list. So that is an aggressive ranking by me. Um, and I, I stand by it. I think Varus has some of the most, the highest offensive upside of almost any player in the White Sox system. I think he's up there with some of the better hitters in this system. Uh, Varus last season was, was already good. And then went from Winston to Birmingham and got better. Um, you know, I, Give me your thoughts from what you got to see from Varus, and I'm going to pull up some more numbers on him.
1: Well, the numbers uh, in Winston Salem were phenomenal. I mean, uh, what, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he tore it up. Uh, I'm curious, though, where do you see, you see him as a corner outfielder?
0: That, that's the tricky part on Varus. Um, the defense is, is rough. The defense has been a work in progress. He kind of played some infield. He was he came in he came up as a third baseman, I believe, um, and kind of bounced around third base, first base a little. Last year in Birmingham, he settled in right field for a decent much of the, the end of the season in Birmingham. It's not great. The arm is there. He has the arm talent to be uh, to be a right fielder. The instincts and the speed is not quite where you want him to be. But he's sneaky. he, he is sneaky fast for a big guy. And he does have some range, so it's really just going to come down to his instincts and his jumps and his ability to get to balls in the outfield. Um, I think when you consider the status of the White Sox, especially, whoever is playing right field in the future, we have no idea who that's going to be because it's been a revolving door for years. It could be Wilfred Varis, and whoever plays right field in the future gets to be next to Luis Robert Jr. So that's one of the things that you can consider when you look at a position for him is that if he's in right field, you don't have to be great in right field, and you don't have to have a lot of range either, because you've got one of the best defensive outfielders in all of baseball in center field. You just got to be solid. There's a world where Wilfred Varus is solid out there.
1: Yeah, you got to be league average, and the question—that's yeah. the big question with him—is can he yeah.
0: be that? Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing holding Varus back. But let's talk a little bit about this offense right here. Started in Winston, 92 games in Winston. You know, uh, a 754 OPS with 11 home runs to go along with 18 stolen bases in Winston. So, like I said, some sneaky speed for a really big dude, some strong power, 25 doubles during that time in Winston. He was the double king. Goes up to Birmingham in only 38 games in Birmingham. Posts an 879 OPS, 6 home runs, 14 doubles, and another 6 stolen bases. So, this is a guy, I I mean, that's not something you see often. And reminder, he's, he's 21, just turned 21 recently. So 21 years old, saw his OPS jump over 100 points when going up to Birmingham, especially Birmingham being one of the harder leagues. That league in, in Birmingham in the Southern League is one of the hardest minor league, leagues to hit in. It's a very pitcher-friendly league for people that don't know, and Birmingham's a hard ballpark to hit in too. So this is a guy who you know got promoted at only 20 years old at the time. Now he's 21 and just continued to get better. The chase rate is a trouble. 145 strikeouts is scary. Uh, he does swing and miss a lot, and he doesn't walk a lot. That's kind of what's gonna have to he's going to have to figure out this year, and I think he's going to be in Birmingham. And I think the focus for him is going to be how much can he control his swing a little bit, hold back at times, and know when to pick his pitches because when he connects with the ball, man, does he hit the ball hard, and man, does he drive it to all over the field. The doubles are gap-to-gap. He's really got that strong gap-to-gap power. he I could see even more home runs than the 17. He had 20 in 2022 and then 17 last year. He's got 20-plus home run potential in addition to being a double master, It's just the approach needs work, and the defense needs work. So those are definitely big things. Don't get me wrong. But the offensive upside when he connects with the ball is up there with almost anybody in this system.
1: You know, the more I listen to you describe him, the more I'm – this is going to sound crazy, but the more I think Oscar Colas comes down to plate discipline with him, right? Yeah. Tons of power, tons of potential, but right. just – swinging it too many pitches no. off the plate.
0: You're, you're not wrong at all. And, and Veris's numbers have been similar to Coloss, And that's a guy who, but you know, the, the thing is, right? Like those types of players, some of them hit and some yep. of them are going to click. So yep. Coloss has not clicked so far. I don't think Coloss is a lost cause. I think he's going to have to fight to even get innings this season for the White Sox. But Varus they could have the exact same profile and exact same swing patterns. And Varus might just figure it out. You know, you never know. That's just how it goes. I think that's like an interesting comparison by you, and I think it's also it's worth considering that like he might just figure it out. And if he figures it out, you're looking at a guy who had 40 doubles last season, in addition to almost 20 home runs, and wall being you know a base stealing threat over 20 stolen bases. So it, it, there's things to figure out. The defense is subpar and the approach is subpar right now, but Varus's ability to hit the ball is up there with almost anybody in the White Sox organization right now. Speaking of a guy, uh, we're, we're sticking to theme here. Speaking of someone with uh, some approach issues, but, man, can he hit the ball. Let's talk some Tim Elko, man. This is uh, – I want to get your take on this first because Elko was drafted last year in the 10th round, started the season in Canapolis, played a lot of the year in Canapolis. so I know you got to watch him play a few times. Uh, before I let you – I'm going to let you go on this. I just want to read Elko's slash line for for those who aren't aware of this number. 295 batting average, 347 on base percentage, 527 slugging percentage. 28 home runs for someone who is a 10th round pick and is 6'4", 240 is what he's listed at. Might be bigger than that. Uh, I felt Tiny standing next to him, interviewing him in Birmingham. Uh, The dude is huge. And just hit the ball all season.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I got to see him a lot in Kannapolis and a lot in Winston-Salem. And uh, he, he just handled the ball in both places. But yeah. you're right, he, did, he struggled a little bit when he got to uh, Birmingham. And I'm just curious, what do you think that was about? Was it just um, a little lack of uh, plate discipline? And
0: I, I just think he reached a level with a little bit more pitching quality. Um, and I think yeah. that there's people that are – a lot of people are ready to say, you know, this is a prospect, he's exciting. But the reality is Elko's 25 years old, he's a first baseman only, and he struck out 165 times last year. Um, you know, that's a lot. Yeah. I think he got to Birmingham, and when you get to Birmingham, you know his 34 games in Birmingham to finish the season, 49 strikeouts and only three walks. I think he was just overmatched a little bit. I think it was his first professional season. And I think he was someone who was just destroying young pitchers at the lower levels um, and just making his money off that. And then you know you see the OPS drop from 900s to 723 in Birmingham, which is not bad by all any means. He still he still hit his home runs. He still got his his RBIs. You know he he did what he did right, but you can tell that he was getting to a level where the pitching caught up to him almost. Uh, so I'm curious to see, he's going to open the year starting at first base in Birmingham. I'm sure about that. He has an invitation to spring training, to major league spring training actually. So I'm hoping to get to see him when I'm out there at that point, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of a scary profile. I think it's even scarier than Varys because he's five years older than Varys or four years older than Varys. Um, you know, a, a ton of strikeouts, not a lot of walks, but he hits the ball really hard and all over the field. So there's a lot of excitement there, and I think Elko, being at his age, right, like if he, if he settles in at Birmingham and does what he was doing in Kannapolis and Winston last year in Birmingham, he could be in the major leagues next year. Like there's a chance, right? There's a chance the White Sox just say, screw it. Let's bring him up. He's 25. Let's just see what he's got because he hit that well for the first three quarters of last season, right? Right. But it's a scary profile.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the upside's there, but uh, the question is, even if he gets to Chicago, how's he going to get on the field? That, um, yeah, you know, D, yeah, Eloy's DH and uh, Vaughn's at first base, but I guess you hit enough, they'll find a place for you.
0: That's the tricky thing, right? You never know. I mean, it, it's hard to gauge. Who knows where Eloy could be out the door in the near future, and, and Vaughn hasn't really taken the step forward that a lot of people thought. So there's a world where if, if Elko keeps hitting, he he could take one of their spots in the future for sure. Uh, but it's also like you, you got to you gotta give him this next season and his second season to really to work on that discipline and to work on that approach because he can hit the heck out of the ball, but it's not you, you can't strike out at a 38% clip in the major leagues. Uh, it's just unfortunately the harsh reality of, of major league baseball that you're not going to survive striking out at that clip. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think he's an exciting player, obviously. I mean, he, fans love him. He's a super nice guy. Uh, really just a lovable player and, and hits the crap out of the ball it's just going to come down to if he can kind of refine that approach and become a more balanced hitter yeah. um, we'll do a we'll do one or two more guys here I want to talk a little bit of Terrell Tatum um, Terrell Tatum's another name who pretty under the radar I don't think Tatum was someone that many people were talking about at all um, going into last season and somebody else that that climbed the ranks and finished the season in Birmingham after you know beginning in Winston and in his second full season and he, he actually, really, his first full season. He played in 2022, but was out for much of that year. He only played 42 games. So, you know, last year was his first full professional season. Destroyed everything at Winston. Uh, just looked excellent. A ton of walks, a ton of stolen bases. Really just your classic, you know, speed, contact, defense guy in the in-center field, in the outfield. His fielding was excellent. Um, he's a really strong defender. Finished the season with 47 stolen bases between the two levels. Um, and then, you know, when he got to Birmingham, though, another guy that just looked a little overmatched. He he played his last 65 games. So he got pulled up right at the midpoint of the season, played 65 games with Birmingham where his OPS went from an 855 in, in Winston to a 676 um, in Birmingham. So someone else that that looked a little overmatched, striked out a little bit too much. He does walk though. So that's kind of the, the give and take there. A difference with, with Tatum and Elko is while Tatum did strike out a lot, 149 strikeouts, 100 walks last season between the two levels. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's almost like he the way when I watch him hit, he has that ability to watch pitches, but then when he sees stuff he likes, he just kind of misses it at times. So it it's a tricky it's a tricky hitter to figure out, but what makes Tatum's floor so high is that he has that contact skill, insane speed, and really good defense. So you're looking at a guy that even if he doesn't hit a ton, could still be a fourth outfield profile in the big league level.
1: Right. He was um, the uh, White Sox 2023 Player of the Year.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I wish I had been looking for this stat. I read it, and I cannot find it. But I think he was one of only five guys in all of the minor leagues to get 100 walks in a season. And the other four guys were all top 50 guys whose names you would recognize. I mean, it's really a league company. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean – it's, I think it's, it's a tricky profile to figure out a little bit, but when you can walk like that, it's a valuable skill. I just think, again, you got to cut down on the strikeouts a little bit and, and you got to have a little more impact at the bat to be a prospect that we're really circling the name of, just because he, you saw at Birmingham, he really wasn't impacting the ball that much. He had a few home runs here and there. He's mostly just kind of a, a doubles in the gap type of guy and singles for the most part. And then, but then, you know, you get him on base via a walk or a single. He, he went 15 of 15 on stolen bases in Birmingham against some really good catchers in that league. So that's someone, I mean, th- there's a lot to like there. It's just another guy who needs to refine the approach a little bit. And I'm not sure about the impact long-term, given that he's a smaller dude. He doesn't have a lot of power in the tank. So, you know, it, it's it's an exciting player to watch. Um, and Tatum's someone that we're definitely going to keep an eye on. Um, but I do think that there are some other players in the outfield that, that provide a little bit more upside with the bat as opposed to Tatum. Um, I want to talk one more. Uh, no, I think I think that's good for today. I think we hit on a lot of players, um, and it's uh, it's cool to kind of see this, this depth in the system. That's the one thing I want to just kind of finish on here with you here. The depth in the White Sox system is so different from what it was a year ago, and that's the deadline and the draft of the last two draft classes especially and everything in between, even this offseason to a degree. There is so many players that we're circling and watching. And last year, there wasn't nearly as many heading into last season in the minor leagues. I I had a hard time making my top 30 list. And then as opposed to last year where I felt like I was struggling to find the back of that list. I I couldn't exactly decide on who was the back of that list because I wasn't sure who really was a top 30 prospect. This year, it was, this year, it was, you know, there's 40, 45 guys that I thought could have had a reasonable argument to be on that list. And I had to narrow it down. So it was a completely different process making a top thirty list last year versus this year because there's a lot of good players in this system. Is that what's your take on just the overall depth in the system as we've now talked about all of the lower levels and the upper levels this week?
1: These last two draft classes have made a dramatic difference. I mean that that's where all the depth has come from, and it's so dramatic that I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Baseball America a year ago had us as the twenty seventh best or third worst uh yeah. minor league system we've gone up to 10th this year according to them that, it's there's a few key. different
0: places i've seen rankings but the system is anywhere from it's it's in the 10 to 17 range kind of that, right. that middle even slightly above average range as opposed to you know one of the worst in baseball a year ago
1: right and you know no, another quick thought um elijah you know we just talked about um a couple of Powerful hitters in kind of in uh, Birmingham. We talked about Varus We talked about Elko. We didn't even mention the two most prominent hitters down there. I mean, they've got a lot of power in Birmingham. We didn't even mention yeah. Brian Ramos or Colson Montgomery.
0: Yeah, yeah. We talked about them two weeks ago, but those two are obviously you know the, the headliners of the that offense, right? So I think there's a chance either or both of those guys are in Charlotte to start the year or pretty soon at least. But generally speaking, there there's some fun some really fun pieces at every level, which is not something we had a year ago. I think we were, we were, there was a few guys here and there we were circling, but now it's like there is multiple pieces at every single level of the minor leagues that we are, think are going to be major league pieces.
1: And I think um, maybe with the exception of catcher, which has suddenly become a very deep position, yeah, I think it's really the starting pitching where um, the White Sox have the most depth, uh, th- again, thanks to the last two draft classes.
0: Yeah, completely. I think it's it's continued to get deeper and deeper. And the trade deadline last year. I mean, they brought in five starting pitchers at the deadline last year who are all, most of them are, are pieces that we think could be in the big leagues pretty soon. Um, you know, Nick Nostrini, obviously, we talked about recently, is, is someone that could crack the rotation very soon. Jake Eater is someone who, you know, with a little bit more innings under his belt after the injury problems last year, is another guy who could be in the rotation this year. So there, there's depth all over the system and just just a quality group of, of prospects within the White Sox organization. Um, we'll leave it at that. We're going to be back next week to talk way more White Sox. Um, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Triple Jeff. You can follow me at Elijah Ev8, um, and stick around with us all season. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk White Sox prospects. We're gonna we're going to bring you all the best content. Check out the other Future Sox podcasts. We've got the Future Sox podcast with Ian and James. We've got the Major League podcast with Nick and Danny and Ian. Sometimes um, it's just a we've got a lot of cool stuff coming at Future Sox. We're going to have our top thirty coming out in the near future. I'm going to have some content from spring training. I'm hoping to get some interviews with a bunch of guys. Um, Jeff will be all over the Carolinas uh, this year watching games. Um, so, so stick around with us, and that'll be all for the Future Sacks Roundup this week.